Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Good evening, everyone. How y'all doing? Halfway through the week. I know. I laugh when I say things like that because I think, oh, great. So my weekend can come, which is where I do the same thing I do every weekend. However, I've been challenging myself to follow the city, states, and the CDC's protocol and recommendations to uh, protect myself from COVID and others. And there's a lot of things we can do. I was talking on an uh, earlier show this week, I think it was Monday, about how I've been trying to get in my car when I have downtime uh, on my own. Uh, I also have a friend and they are completely self-isolating, getting tested, wearing their mask, and uh, sometimes we'll kind of get in the car and go, Go for a drive or I'll just take myself because there's something about just changing your environment that reminds you that there's a whole world out there <laughs> and it just kind of uh, improves your mood a little bit. If nothing else, it just distracts you because being home around the clock, I'm seeing my patients from home via telemedicine and doing my home workouts at home and you know, you got to get out. You got to see the rest of the world. Um, so I just want to remind everyone, get that sunlight, go for a walk. You can still go for a hike, whatever you need to do, get creative. Uh, but um, you know, Google, see what kind of parks exist exist where you are. Like I know back home, my older brother is going to a lot of the different parks and wetlands and all those different kinds of things. Uh, there's We have some really interesting smaller rivers and he's going and spending time there. Um, I've been grabbing coffee and a book and sitting outside on the stoop. Um, because in LA, we don't have the ability to be indoors or outdoors at coffee shops or restaurants. And so I sit on the stoop and, you know, it's LA. So the weather's not that bad. I love the cold though. So I'm excited about the fact that it's getting cooler. But there's things we can still do, you know, that are very, very, very safe that get us out of our house. In fact, please do that every single day. Get that vitamin D, get some fresh air. Remember to also open your windows. That was something else I noticed I hadn't done. I was like, I need to open the windows and let some sound in, some fresh air in, some natural light. Um, all these different things, you know what I mean? And then, of course, we're going to keep talking about the holidays because those are coming up, a lot of them. And I want everyone to be prepared and have the right mindset. Uh, for some, it's going to be about uh, chosen family. Remember, we get to choose our family. Just because we are born into a system doesn't mean it's the healthiest one or the best one for us, especially for people of different marginalized, exploited identities. And uh, you get to choose your family. So maybe you want to put together a Zoom or a Skype get together that's really about spending time with those that mean the most to you, who really um, honor who you are in your totality and don't expect you to be someone you're not. Something meaningful in that. Not everyone can relate to that, but those that have had those struggles, they know how important, they know how important that is. 
Also, I'm looking at the news at some changes that are happening. This is a big one. Uh, emotional support animals is probably among the most misused things. I can't tell you how many people that I know or don't know that are asking me to write them emotion, uh, letters that say that they're animals and emotional support to take on a plane and whatnot. And I always push back on that because that makes it more difficult for those that really need it. And if you don't need it, you don't need it. And those that really do need to not have to go through obstacles. Well, it's going to get harder because emotional support animals are no longer guaranteed free flights. What does that mean? Well, it means that the Department of Transportation said that it will no longer require airlines to make the same accommodations for emotional support animals as they do for trained service dogs. Trained service dogs are trained and certified. So there's not a guarantee of a free flight for your animal. A service dog is specifically trained to help people with disabilities. And uh, emotional support animals is very different. Not that they're not meaningful, but prior, apparently, I guess they didn't have, you know, weren't able to charge. That's changing. The problem is, is it's going to make it harder for those that need these things to get access to them. And that's what I want everyone to be thoughtful about. Um, not misusing services that are available for those that have to get it. Also, this is kind of an odd shout out. Shout out to HBO and Warner Brothers. Love this. This was actually last week. Forgot to mention this. And my brother sent this to me and I was like, yes, I got HBO. I'm a big fan of the work they do. And uh, Warner Brothers is a striking a deal with them. And they're going to be releasing all of the films on HBO for a month that they were also going to be releasing in theaters. When I heard that movies were still being shown in theaters, I was like, where is that happening? I forgot that that's even a thing and that that's happening still. It is. I would not feel safe being in a theater right now. Sorry, I wouldn't. But HBO is going to be playing all the new releases. That means we're going to be getting films like the brand new Matrix. Are you kidding? Yeah. Cannot wait. So that's something I'm looking forward to. That's going to be next year. So we got to hang in there a little bit longer, but... I think the new Wonder Woman is one of them, but uh, what are, I'm looking at the list of movies. I'm not familiar with all of these. There's a new Conjuring. I'm not a fan of that franchise. I don't like Supernatural. I, I think they lack storylines and they're just kind of corny, but a lot of y'all love it, so do your thing. Uh, Godzilla versus King Kong is coming. That's kind of cool. Um, Dune. Do you guys remember Dune? That was an iconic sci-fi film from when I was a kid. I think it's like early 80s or late 70s. They did a remake Eh, I'm not a fan of remakes because there's so many amazing people that are have great ideas. I'd love to see some of these newer films being made, but sure, we'll see. Matrix 4. My God. So um, that's kind of something to look forward to. Small victories. In times like this, it's the small victories, you know? Truly. Um, my God. You know, it's one of those times, right? All right, y'all. Uh, coming up next, we got a great show planned for you. We're going to be talking about maintaining your mental health, of course, during the pandemic, and also talking about pronouns. Yes, I know a lot of that's inspired by Mr. Elliot Page coming out as trans, and uh, just the fact that, hey, that's the world we live in. We got to be better about this stuff. You're listening to Loveline with Dr. Chris on the new channel Q and radio.com. All right, we're back, and we're talking about mental health during a pandemic talk a lot about this and it shows up in a lot of different ways, but uh, always just kind of jumping in, giving people some reminders. So um, let's kind of dig in. I was looking at a study and I thought this was really fascinating. And they were looking at people that were quote unquote, mentally healthy, right? The most mentally robust, the ones that were mentally the strongest during a pandemic. Now, again, the article acknowledges as does, you know, the clinical field that things happen within context, right? The pandemic did not occur at a uh, you know smooth, easy, simple, grounded time for a lot of us. Just kind of got dropped in life as it was already happening. 
Um, I thought this was really fascinating though. So uh, a, a research project citing more research, but basically what it said is that during, um, that there's two different ways during a crisis, right? And a crisis can be a lot of different things. And we're talking about larger scale crises, much like a pandemic, and it wasn't necessarily done directly in relationship to that. But again, the whole point of research is to try to extrapolate, um, universalize, which you cannot do ever, but really just try to apply to other situations to make sense of it. And it was saying that there's two different predictors as to how someone will respond in terms of mental health, psychological health, emotional health during a crisis, much like COVID. Um, the first, of course, is how vulnerable they were in their own lives before the crisis, right? Because things happen within the context of whatever else is going on in your life. So if you're someone who was in the middle of dealing with you know, health issues already, maybe um, employment anxiety, maybe financial stress, relational stress, whatever it is, that's gonna definitely have an impact as to how well you deal with the crisis, right? Um, what's going on when this crisis enters your life? Because we're not always prepared for these things. That's the whole point of something being a crisis is usually that it's an event that occurs uh, that we're not prepared for that overwhelms our system or our resources or our abilities. And that's also very much the definition of trauma. Something happens that's far beyond what we're able to manage or integrate or really cope with. Um physically or psychologically and emotionally. We used to think that trauma only came from, you know, the the diagnostic manuals definition, which is more so related to uh, the possibility of death, your own or someone else's witnessing it as a, as a you know, primary or just as a witness. Um, but we now know it's just anything that really overwhelms your system. Homophobia is absolutely trauma. Transphobia, racism is a trauma. Not getting your basic needs met can lead to trauma. So again, how, how your life is going when this thing enters is really, really important and meaningful. And the second, ready for this one? And this might be very telling in terms of precipitating factors, but also ways to uh, build resilience. Second main predictor of how well someone will deal with a crisis is dun, da, 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 how much news they consumed during the crisis. Now, think about that. What they're saying is chronic, chronic news viewing, which means ongoing and consistent, is going to fare worse. And that's because you are not getting time away from the quote unquote crisis. Remember, we don't need to be a participant directly in something for it to have a negative impact on us. There's such a thing in my field and another field, it's called uh, vicarious traumatization. And that means you did not experience something, but through someone else's sharing of it, you go through it with them and it has a trauma response for you as well. You do. And that can happen to therapists. They're constantly sitting and going through people's trauma that they can start to kind of take on some of that themselves and exhibit some of the symptoms. So chronic exposure to news during these crises can create vicarious trauma and also post-traumatic stress. Media exposure, which is what a lot of people go for, right? We're nervous, we're anxious, we want to have an understanding as to what's going on, we anxiously keep checking. And I think that that might have shifted or maybe spiked back up at this point, but I know early on in the pandemic, I was glued to the news. I, I wanted to make sense of what was happening, right? When we found out about the pandemic or any other crisis, you immediately go into a state of helplessness. And the way we start to feel empowered again is to have information, right? To be aware, to know. We always want to know. But the constant media exposure, the 24-7 news cycle can actually not allow our systems to regulate 
otherwise known as self-regulated, down-regulated. And instead, they keep us trapped in that fight or flight response because you're constantly having that crisis presented to you. It's constantly in action. You're constantly engaging it just by watching and hearing about it. Think about it. Early on in the pandemic, very much now so as well, not talking necessarily about the uh, vaccine, which can be very soothing, but constantly hearing about the numbers and what was going on early on kept everyone really dysregulated. We were talking a lot about good sleep hygiene and decreasing anxiety, and we were saying, turn off the news, turn off the news. And that's very much why your psychology and your system needs time away from whatever the triggering event is. And the news and social media very much keeps us tied to it. So again, the two powerful predictors, what was going on in your life when this crisis happened, whatever the crisis could be, but in this example, I'm using COVID. And then also your involvement in that crisis, such as through exposure to the news, hearing about other people's stories. It's really important stuff. These are the kinds of things you want to think about you know, when something's going on in your life, which is also why we talk constantly about self-care and mental health so that you have a, a better foundation to deal with everything that life throws at you. Um, but knowing what can make things worse also helps us then flip it and understand what can make things better. Um, and that we also, again, some of the research was looking at the impact of uh, 9-11 and terrorism and all the things that came with that and the impact on people that were really engaging the media. Um, so basically mentally healthy and strong people, they'll limit their news exposure um, or they're just thoughtful about the news that they consume, news that's definitely, definitely accurate as a way to kind of better cope with what's going on. Because again, we don't want to come out of this with any more trauma than we have to. All right, we're going to keep talking about this uh, question of the night, as always, is up on our Loveline IG page. So go over there and the stories and weigh in on that. You're listening to Loveline with Dr. Chris on the new channel Q and radio.com. All right, we're back and we're talking about, uh, I guess, you know, it's a lot of different things that intersect, but basically we're talking about mental health and what is the impact of a crisis on your mental health and what are the different factors, um, precipitating and, um, outcome driven also just stabilizing. What are the different things that we want to look at that will help us understand prior, during, and after how a crisis will impact us? And we were just talking about, and I thought that it was really interesting to look at this, that the two top predictors as to your mental health in response to a crisis are going to be number one, what was your level of health or functioning prior to this happening, right? Because it happens within the context, but then also your exposure to news. And that's because it keeps you in a hyper dysregulated state. You might have, uh, your mind might have wandered, right? You might have focused on something else. Uh, you might have been distracted, found joy or in, in whatever else was going on. And then you turn on the news, you're immediately brought back to what's happening and your system, right? Your nervous system, your psychological, your psychology, <clears throat> both of those systems mirror and match what you're looking at on the news. Uh, vicarious traumatization can happen. Um, empathy, mirror neurons. Our systems are very much set up to wire and connect to what's happening around us. And that's why it's not true when someone says, oh, people can't make you feel a certain way. Yes, they can. They absolutely can. 100%. Our mental health is 
a direct result of those around us, how they talk, how they think, how they feel, what are the norms and values, how much we align with that. And relationships are about a wiring together. I do want people to care. Uh, imagine what it would be like if we didn't care what anyone thought about us. That would be a removal of the positive and the negative. That would make us sociopathic. That would make us completely self-centered. And we're seeing that with people that refuse to wear masks, right? That that minor inconvenience is more meaningful to them than the impact they're having on other people, people's death, people's ability to, you know, run their businesses, which are being closed down because the number's spiking. So what are the other things that we want to think about uh, as we're trying to still focus on our mental health in this time of COVID? Because we're looking at the reports about the vaccines getting released, but unless you're a frontline worker or someone that's, you know, falling under the criteria of high risk, we're not going to be getting those until next year. So we still have to be very thoughtful. And so number one, take time away from the news. You do not need to know the moment by moment up to date. Remembering that it, it's in your system. Your system will match the energy uh, of whatever it is you're looking at on the news. Also, they accept their feelings as normal. And that's the whole point of mental health is normalizing talking about it and normalizing feeling whatever you're feeling. I don't want people to focus on the positive. I don't want people to uh, you know, work on um, putting a smile on their face or whatever it is. I want people to be honest with, I'm scared, I'm, I'm lonely, I'm sad, I'm depressed, I'm anxious, whatever it is. We don't need to have positive thinking. We need to have truthful expression and processing. So part of being mentally healthy during a crisis is acknowledging that you're not going to have necessarily positive responses and that's okay. Mentally healthy, mentally strong people accept their feelings and say, it is normal to be scared at a time like this. It is normal to feel very stressed at a time like this. We don't need to complicate those feelings by adding a layer of shame or guilt about having those feelings, right? The work is about accepting and allowing. Um, and that's hard for people to just allow. We often wanna fix, we wanna cure, we wanna beat it, you know what I mean? That's a very American style. We're gonna beat those feelings, we're gonna beat that depression, we're gonna cure it, we're gonna fix it. That's a natural part of life, especially when depressing things are happening. And we have to learn how to allow that. We have to learn how to let that be a companion and a part of our day, right? Um, so again, it's okay to have this collective or personal responses, whatever they are, hopeless, hopelessness, anger, disappointment, sadness. Um, that's not bad. And remember though, um, it's contextual always. It's not just your own individual experience. It's about creating relationships and letting those know around you that we want to be able to express what we're expressing and feel what we feel. Tell people, I just need you to listen. I don't need you to fix. I don't need you to shut it down. I don't need you to make me feel better. Um, and also look around at you, look around your space. If those that you're sharing, uh, cohabitating with or whatnot are constantly having the news on, weigh in on that and let them know, listen, your system is going to match that which, that that program, that news reporter, that, that show topic, whatever that is carrying with it, you're going to get infected by that. And if we want to, we want to feel better, we want to take a few hours away from watching news, which is usually very headline and salaciously driven. So you limit that, but you also really only follow and track trusted resources because you don't want to needlessly, right? Have your emotions all over the place because you're oversaturating yourself or you're going to the wrong sources. And of course that has to then tie to social media because that stuff is where we also get flooded with this, right? Um, so stay with the facts, you know, give yourself breaks, uh, limit your exposure to the news and all these other triggering things that can be brought in through other people, right? Um, and finally, just focusing as always on self-care, 
you know, it's, it's something that can really bring us back. And it's something that I'm always reminding everyone, maybe to nauseam to keep as a center point in your life, self-care being focusing on things that bring us joy and pleasure, self-care being focusing on rest, right? All those things that give us that and, and bring us that because life is always throwing something at us. All right. Question of the night as always is up on our Loveline IG page in the story. So weigh in on that. And if you want to check out past episodes of Loveline, you can do so by going to wearechannelq.com. And uh, coming up next, we're going to be sliding into those DMs. You're listening to Loveline with Dr. Chris on the new channel Q and radio.com. All right, we are back, and uh, now it's time to slide into those DMs. Sliding into the DMs. Sliding the DMs is brought to you by our friends at Trojan Condoms because it's a big old sex world. We want you to explore with confidence. Here we go. This one says, hey, Dr. Chris, in college, I met my two best friends, Brittany and Steph. The three of us did everything together, but as we got older, we drifted apart. We graduated in 2014 and we went our separate ways, but we always managed to keep in contact at least monthly. Last week, the two of them moved in together and I felt left out, but I'm on my own and happy, so it wasn't that big of a deal. But now we don't talk anymore. Brittany's cousin died, so I showed up at the funeral and saw them earlier this year, but that was the last time. I found out on social media that Steph was engaged and that Brittany helped throw the party and I wasn't even considered. Steph just recently reached out to me and I'm having a really hard time forgiving her and Steph. Are there any ways I can move forward or try to talk to them about how I'm feeling or is it even worth it? Yeah, that's hard. You know, what happens is sometimes when people live with friends or they get into a relationship, they don't necessarily have that downtime or that, that space of like solitude or loneliness that really is when we think about people or reach out. So that's part of it. When you have like a built-in friend, you don't always think about reaching out to others or to check in on others. You know, and sometimes there's some other element like, you know, people present the story in the way you did as though there's no other factors in there. I, I don't know what else is going on. I can't imagine it's just as smooth as we're all friends in the same ways, no other issues. They moved in and that's just the difference. You know what I mean? Like I have to imagine there's a little bit more to it than just they moved in. Now they don't talk to me. Do you live in a different city? Because they live together. So, of course, they're building a life together as friends, right? Maybe you live far away. Maybe you're not as responsive when they reach out. I mean, start by always looking at ourselves, right? We always want to do that. We, we often are like, well, they didn't do this. They didn't reach out on my birthday. Okay, well, hold on. What's going on in their life? And also, how have you been showing up? Have you been showing up in any way that might have communicated that you're busy, you're not available, you're not that interested? Maybe they kept texting every day and you kind of drifted and focused on career, education, romance. I don't know, right? So I'm not blaming anyone, but just make sure that there's not something you're contributing that they're responding to because sometimes that's part of it. But then we sometimes have to mourn the loss of a friendship, not entirely, right? But People move on and they get new friends or again, they get married and or have kids or take on a job and they are, their priorities can shift. So part of it might be mourning the loss. It just is. But again, I want us all to be a part of building a world where we can talk to people and say, hey, I miss you. Um, but I would say more importantly this, um, unless you're aware of something maybe having happened that you can discuss, 
I would say just start trying to build the kind of relationship you want. If you want to talk to them more often, reach out more often. If you want to see them more often, plan more trips with them. Sometimes we just naturally settle into a pattern or habit and everyone just honors and allows that. But if you want more closeness, start creating that. You know, sometimes we'll ask people and say we miss them, but then we ourselves still don't do anything to kind of bring them closer. So start leading that charge. If your goal is to see them more and to talk to them more, reach out more. You might have let yourself drift in ways that the two of them didn't, and that's why you're not participating in the same ways, you know? But relationships in theory are very flexible. We can get close, distant, close, and distant. There should always be an openness for that. So I wouldn't say it's worth just writing off. I want to believe if you're writing in and thinking about this that it does have meaning and value. Unless you just are jealous because they're close but actually don't really truly care. Because if that's true, well, then let it go. Let them go off and be friends and be happy. But again, they might have just been honoring the distance that you're taking. So make sure you're staying close um, and staying consistent with them because otherwise they're giving you what you've asked for. And I see that happening. People say, why aren't they reaching out? Why am I not being invited? And I'll say, well, how often are you inviting them to things and reaching out to them? And they'll say, well, I don't. And it's like, well, that's why. (laughs) You know what I mean? You're wanting them to do what you won't do. Reach out, plan things, be assertive, you know, and we can't expect others to do what we're not willing to do. Right. And so start trying to create the kind of relationship with them that you want. And it's possible you'll get it. All right, y'all coming up next, we're going to be talking about pronouns. Elliot Page actor has a put it in the headlines more so than I actually expected. It's everywhere. So we're going to be talking about pronouns. What does it mean? Why is it important? And then a question of the night, which as always is up on our Loveline IG page in the story. So in on that, and then we'll be closing out with some DMS listening to Loveline with Dr. Chris on the new channel Q and radio.com. All right, we're back. And uh, hey, we're going to talk again about uh, pronouns and trans rights and trans support. What does that mean? It means this. Transphobia is something that, you know, those of us that are not trans or non-binary or gender creative, it's something that we system, you know, systemically have really created and we strengthen. And Elliot Page, uh, star of Juno and the Umbrella Academy, recently came out as a trans masculine and it brought up a lot of conversations. What does that mean? How do we talk about this person? What's appropriate? What's not appropriate? And who asks questions like that? People that care, people that are kind, people that are compassionate, people that care, they impact others. I, I constantly have these really amazing conversations with my mom. She, God bless her, is so outside of that loop. She lives deep, deep, deep out in the suburbs on the East Coast, very disconnected from all this, but watches the news, uh, reads prolifically and you know, this comes up and she wants to be a caring, compassionate person and wants to better understand how to talk about these topics. Uh, the news does not always report it appropriately. They've, they've definitely done some problematic things in their sharing of this story. That's okay. People are learning as long as you have, you know, an in- a positive intent and you're willing to clean up whatever impact you have that might be negative. Um, but we have to get better about talking about these things, whether you like it or not. Trans people exist and non-binary people exist. People that don't identify as male or female, people that are very gender creative and fluid with new terms and more will continue to emerge. And it's not that there's more trans people as much as there's now safety and support for trans people to be themselves. And you're going to see more of it. And I love that. I love people authentically and in a liberatory way, just being who they 
they are, being them true selves, living in a life that makes sense to them. Uh, I know it's very foreign to people of older generations or people in certain communities, but you know, again, more to come. And we never know what family member uh, might be trans or, or a child. And so this is important stuff. So the first thing is always, don't do what we call dead naming. And dead naming, to dead name someone, is to use the name that they were assigned at birth, the name that no longer is who they are. There's no need to do that. And we see that even with Caitlyn Jenner. Um, there's no need to bring up Caitlyn's birth name. Uh, that is no longer who Caitlyn is. And, you know, when, when someone comes into their true selves, they don't necessarily want um, their former self, their, you know, their assigned at birth self being brought into the present time. And so again, dead naming is using someone's birth name. We don't need to do that. And so when Elliot first came out as trans, people were saying things like Elliot Page, formerly known as, because they were saying, well, not everyone's going to understand who we're talking about. Uh, you're right. They might not. And they can do some research, include photos of this individual, talk about the films they've been in. And people will kind of connect those dots. But to say things like formally known as, uh, it just doesn't sound very compassionate, right? And it's okay for letting, you know, it's okay to let people do a little digging and a little research to better understand what's happening. So that's the first one. Um, we don't say things like she is now a he. <laughs> Again, even just having that come out of my mouth hurts to say, uh, she is now a he. We're talking about a human being. We're talking about Elliot. We now know Elliot's name. Let's just call Elliot Page Elliot, right? It's all about those pronouns. I have a multitude of trans friends, and I've been a witness to really heartbreaking moments when they're misgendered. It's heartbreaking. That's the only word I can really use. It hurts me. It hurts them. Uh, some of them are very familiar, and it's it's a bummer. Um but it happens and we wanna be very thoughtful about that. So again, we don't use birth names. Uh, we, we use the correct pronoun, the pronoun that person is, 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 is who they are. And, and when in doubt, it's okay to ask. I ask all my guests before they come on, what, what are your pronouns? Not your preferred, what are your pronouns? It's not a preference, it's who they are. What are your pronouns? It's okay to ask that. And they'll tell you, he and she, they and them, they and them, for those aren't familiar, is now even in the dictionary. It's no longer necessarily just about plurality. It's also a non-gendered term for someone who's non-binary or trans. They don't, they are not a he, they're not a she. They and them is very neutralized, right? It's, it's both, it's neither, it's all things. Um, I know, very clunky for some, you will get familiar with it. It, it. it just flows off the tongue when you get into it. It's in the dictionaries now, thankfully, that now makes it an accepted part of you know spelling and grammar and use. Um, don't ever ask about genitals or surgeries they've had or might want to have. That's a very personal, private thing. It's an ongoing journey and someone's genitals don't matter. And I like that concept. If you're attracted to someone, be attracted to who they are and what you see. It shouldn't matter. And, and also socialization and love and care and compassion, none of those things are tied to genitals, but we often like to bring it back to that. And people will, they'll say, I know, I know, I know, but I just want to know. That's a very personal, private thing. And for many, it's it has a lot of um, depression and anxiety and what we call body dysmorphia, really trying to figure out what genitals and anatomy feel best for them and make sense to them, right? Um, and the, you know, the finalizing statement is just, if you slip up on names and pronouns, just apologize, you know, just say, I'm very sorry and ask what the correct usage is. Um, it, cause at the end of the day, it's not about being perfect. It's about being caring, compassionate and creating a world where everyone feels accepted and safe. 
I even have moments where I get confused, I flub up, I get nervous, I don't know the best answer. And for some of my uh, patients or friends or loved ones that are under the big trans umbrella, they're figuring it out for themselves too as well. Um, it's not always clear. And even those of us that are comfortable being cisgendered, which means not trans, right? We're comfortable with the gender we were assigned at birth. A lot of us don't necessarily like these male-female binaries. I know I hate it when someone says something to me like, well, as a man, it's like, stop. Make no assumptions or expectations on who you, who you think I am, how you think I operate, what you think I feel or do, because I present as the male gender. Let me be my authentic, liberated self, and it might sometimes present in a way that traditionally is more for a female. But remember, anything a male does is male behavior, even if it's traditionally or normally done by a female. Uh, men now wear dresses. Thank you, Harry Styles, on the cover of Vogue. People got upset about that. Why? It's fabric. We need to get more comfortable with fluidity and creativity, you know, and authenticity. If a man wears a dress, well, then men wear dresses. Men wear dresses sometimes. How do I know? Because I've seen it on the cover of magazines. You know, let people be who they are. That's really about compassion and mental health. All right, y'all. Question of the night up on Loveline IG page. Uh, you're listening to Loveline with Dr. Chris on the new channel Q and radio.com. All right, we're back, and uh, man, I, I follow a lot of interesting things. One of them is this blog about parenting. I'm not currently a parent. Uh, eh, whether or not that you know becomes something that my life moves towards, I'm not sure. It's an interesting topic. I'm not opposed to it. I'm not powerfully for it or against it for myself. Um, I do understand the concept of adoption. It's also something that I think is really valuable. Tons and tons of children need homes. So I'd definitely consider something like that. But I was looking at this topic of Santa Claus and uh, the, the, the pauses and the negatives of the story, the myth, the archetype, the experience. It's so embedded in holiday time that a lot of people can't imagine anything different. And there's a traditional Santa that we think of. He's white with a white beard. And I support people of color, black people saying, we, Santa wasn't inherently any race. He's not a real person. Can he not be racially diverse? Of course he can, and he should be. And I think the idea of black Santas is phenomenal. And places are finally stepping up and creating that. But this is more along the just the general topic and the controversy of Santa. Um, and it comes up around times like this, and I think that there's some interesting points to be made. Now, the first one that I was looking at in the story, I didn't agree with, and it said, listen, Santa's not real, and because it's not truth, I made a commitment to myself to be honest with my children, this person, the author of the article is saying, and uh, I expect age-appropriate honesty, and that means I'm not gonna lie, I'm not gonna lie about things that don't need to be lied about, and one of the things they brought up was Santa, and I thought, we do lie, we lie all the time. And it's a spectrum of how impactful that lie is or the intention of that lie or the positive or negativity within it, but we do it all the time. And I don't know that I see a harm in uh, urban legends, as you might say, or myths or cultural, cultural stories, cultural narratives, cultural traditions. I'm never opposed to that as long as it meets the needs of the current moment or the people involved. And I'm not, I don't think the myth of Santa Claus is inherently negative. It doesn't have to be just from the door, right? We're going to get deeper into it, but just the idea of like, I don't want to lie to my kids, but don't we all the time, we tell them things will be okay. We tell them we have things handled when we don't. Um, we tell them they can be whatever they want to be. That's not true. <laughs> not everyone can be president. Not everyone can 
play on the NBA. Not everyone can get a recording contract. Not everyone can win the Olympics. People try very hard and there's many people that are deserving of many things and they'll never get what they deserve because we don't live in a meritocracy. And we that's a big cultural lie that as long as you work hard, you'll get everything you want. No, you won't. <laughs> Homophobia, make sure you won't. Transphobia, make sure you won't. Racism, make sure you won't. Classism, make sure you won't. Not everyone can lead the life they want to lead. I think that's one of the most important lessons. So why can't we lie about Santa Claus? I think it can add flavor and excitement to the holiday. So I, I have to challenge that one. The other thing, this part, I actually thought was really profound is the classism rooted in the Santa myth. And basically what it's saying is that not all parents can afford or have the financial ability to give their kids what they want for Christmas or for some families, anything at all. But that implies in the Santa storyline that then they're a bad kid because that's the story. Santa comes to everyone's home and if you're a good kid, you'll get what you want. But if you're naughty, you get coal or you get nothing. But what about the parents who can't afford to give their kids anything for Christmas? What, how do they explain to their children about Santa not coming to their home? That would be a reason why those parents might say, look, Santa's actually not real. And I know that some parents get upset and they're like, well, if you tell your kids he's not real and then your kid tells my kid and it's like, I, I understand that chain of events, but for families that can't afford to celebrate Christmas or the Santa gift giving component, it might be meaningful for them to explain to their kids. It's a cute little story, but it's not real. Kind of like the tooth fairy. In some families, if you put your tooth that falls out under your pillow, you get money. Well, what about the kids that do that because they heard their friends did that and they get no money because their family doesn't have the money to give. I can understand that family also telling their child, the tooth fairy is not real. It's your the mom and dad or the dads or the moms putting the money under the pillow. So I do hold space for that element um, because I can't imagine what else do you say to the kids who say, why didn't Santa come to our home? It went to all of our friends' homes and our, you know, our friends told us that good kids get gifts. Are we bad kids? No one should have to feel like they're bad because their family isn't financially secure. So I think there's something really powerful and reasonable in that one. I would absolutely be honest with my children and say, it's not real. And whatever you know, the parents of my kids would think about that is just how it has to be. Um, and then finally, another point that I thought was interesting is just generalizing that concept. Um, that somehow having this idea that good behavior you know, gets gifts and if you're bad, you don't because all kids are good, you know, and, and all kids will struggle and I'm not a fan of punishment. I'm a fan of transformative justice, which is when something's happening, we really break down what caused this, you know, and how can we resolve this? And it's not about punishment. Uh, we know just looking at the prison system, punishment does not decrease crime. That is not what does it, throwing people in jail and giving them fines. Um, what people need is to be listened to and to look at what are the causes, what leads to theft, right? Poverty, uh, you know, a lack of education, a lack of outlets, uh, a lack of access to resources, right? To job security, to just general safety and healthcare, like all these different things create a, a system that leads people to create a lot of crime. Um, so I think there's something in that with children as well, that good people don't always get gifts and bad people still have worth and value. Uh, when we're talking about children, especially, you know, all kids struggle. That's the part of being a child. You don't have a fully developed prefrontal cortex, your judgments offline. You don't have full impulse control. <laughs> like that's expected, you know, it's part of childness. Um, so anyway, the Santa thing is fascinating to me because you know, without me having children, it's not anything that really is a part of my life in any way. And so I don't ever stop to consider who's left out in that Santa narrative, who's centered and empowered within the Santa narrative, you know, who does it serve and who does it not? It's interesting when you look at it. And then there's also, you know, the people that just see 
some of the uh, consumerism and materialism in it all, you know, that uh, you have to reward good behavior versus being ethical and, and, and compassionate because that's just being a good person and not using gifts always as, you know, a reward. All right, y'all, question of the night is coming up next. Uh, that is in our Loveline IG page and the story, so weigh in on that. And then, of course, we'll be uh, closing out the show with some DMs. Check out past episodes of Loveline, as always, over at wearechannelq.com. You're listening to Loveline with Dr. Chris on the new channel Q and radio.com. All right, y'all, we're back. Now it is time for question of the night. President Obama revealed that he certainly asked about UFOs during his presidency. I love that. But he can't tell us what he found out. <laughs> I love that tease. Yeah, I asked. And of course, I found some stuff out. But y'all can't be told. Why can't we be told? That's my question. Why can't you tell us what you know? I believe in UFOs. Of course, I believe in aliens. I think it's more ridiculous not to believe in it. We really are so um, human-centered uh, or Earth-centered or however you want to look at it that we think that only we exist. Really? Are you aware that there's colors and, and sounds that you can't see or hear? Are you aware that there's um, particles and atoms and things that you can't touch? Right, so there's so much going on around us. There's more going on around us that we can't access with our senses than what we can. Like really know that. We usually only trust our five senses. And there's so much going on around us that we can't access with just those five senses. And the most important things in the world can't be accessed with those senses. Things like love, relationality. You can't touch that or see that or hear that or smell that. We have to get less, we have to, we're such materialists. If we can't weigh it or count it, we're too scientific in our thinking in that way. Science has limits. Science isn't fact. Science is a method of understanding the world, but it has its limits. Um, so I love topics like this. So the question is, what government conspiracy would you most want to know about? For me, it would be the alien thing. And I want to know why we can't know what you know, Obama. Um, there's a lot of bad documentaries on that stuff. It's That's what's unfortunate. Fortunate. <laughs> documentaries on UFOs and aliens just tend to be really janky. Um, although, although Dark Skies is an alien movie that is one of my absolute favorite films. Um, I think it's pretty, pretty badass. So check that out. But um, anyway, question is what government conspiracy would you want to know more about? Can't wait to hear. The first person said, is the world run by one family group? Well, we know this much. We know that we live in a capitalist culture, so it's definitely run by the wealthy, and uh, there's very few of them, and they're all interconnected. The more I do the work I do in all the different levels, I do start to see the, um, the network. Yes, so there is something to that. Someone else said, aliens. Yeah, that's my curiosity as well. Um, you know, we have technology. We're aware that there's a lot going on beyond us. Aliens don't necessarily mean some kind of human form or something material, uh, but they exist. Other cultures see and talk to ghosts. You know, again, we're so American-centric. We're so Eurocentric. We're so, you know, human-centric. But um, other cultures have other methods of accessing other forms of consciousness and other planes of reality. It's, it's do the research. Shamanism. Um, in some Asian cultures, after the loss of a loved one, in Spanish culture, you go and you spend time with the dead and honor them. I mean, there's these different beautiful entry points. We just also have a powerful fear of death here in our culture. Question tonight, what government conspiracy would you most want to know about? Someone else said JFK. Oh, so interesting. So I was in Texas where he was shot, and it's fascinating. In that square where it happened, there's a lot of people out there talking about the conspiracy that they of, of surrounding all of that. 
quite fascinating when you look at the photos, the data, the information. Definitely leaves you with some questions. Um, yeah, that's a good one. I like that one, the JFK one. Uh, someone else said, okay, but what really happened in Roswell, New Mexico? See, again, there's a really bad, really bad TV show about Roswell, but someone that's younger. Um, I'm curious about that as well. Secrets. Anytime there's secrets where they're like, ah, oh, government secret, or you can't enter this area. Of course, the curiosity spikes. Someone else said, uh, what really is Guantanamo Bay? What's out there? A lot of heinous, heinous things happen there. A lot of xenophobia and racism happen at Guantanamo Bay. Um, a lot of militarism. But uh, yes, what else is going on? That which we know is not good. Again, the question tonight is what conspiracy theory would you most want to know about? Uh, someone else said Area 51. Tell us. See, I'm telling you. It's very alien-centric. People want to know. Someone please make a really good documentary about it because the ones that are out there are just kind of like, eh. Uh, we'll stop on this one. Someone said the Denver airport. So scary. I don't get it. I'm assuming you're being funny. I don't know why that Denver airport. <laughs> but you know what, dude? Get some money together. Do a documentary on the airport. I, you know what? I'm one of those people where I like documentaries about some of the most banal, benign things. I, I really love human interest pieces. I don't mind watching someone exploring like the world of whatever it is. So I'd watch. I just watched a really good documentary on a mall, the closing of a mall, you know? So I'd watch one on, a, on an airport. Airports are interesting places. The amount of people coming from wherever, going wherever, there's stories there. Why are you here? Where are you off to? Whenever I've been forced, because for me it's force, I'm not about small talk. Usually at an airport or an airplane, I'm trying to read, I'm trying to zone out. But whenever I'm forced into conversation, it's never dull. It's always interesting what they're doing. It's rarely just seeing family. It's interesting work stuff or life events. I don't know, I find it fascinating. So good conversation can come from that. That and also talking to your Uber drivers. Yep, it's also just called being friendly. All right, y'all, question tonight as always is back up. That's on our Loveline IG page in the stories, weighing on that. And uh, coming up next, we're going to be sliding into those DMs. You're listening to Loveline with Dr. Chris on the new channel Q and on radio.com. All right, we're back. Now it's time to slide into those DMs. Sliding into the DMs. Slide the DMs is brought to you by our friends at Trojan Condoms because it's a big old sex of world and we want you to explore with confidence. Here we go. Hey, Dr. Chris, I've been listening to your show for months now. Good. Thank you. And I really enjoy learning about different sexual fantasies and out of the norm ideas, right? Right? We don't ever, well, not not ever, but we don't often get access to people talking about the uh, creative, diverse ways that people can be in the world, especially when it comes to sex. And usually if people are talking about that, they're trying to shame it. They're like, where does that come from? And they look for these histories and stories of trauma and turmoil. And it's like, no, we have the capacity of eroticizing anything. We can be aroused by everything and anything. We just have to be open to it, right? Our sexualities are open-ended. They're fluid. We're constantly folding new things in, learning about ourselves day by day, partner by partner. Um, and that's normal. That's healthy. Uh, so your question said, I wanted to see if you had any advice on approaching someone with these ideas. I've been seeing this guy for about six months. Our sex is cool, but I really like to spice it up. But I'm a little embarrassed and shy to mention some of the things I'd like to try. Thank you. I love this question. So props to you, first off, for basically saying, I want to explore, but I want to be more sexually authentic. Now, remember, it's co-created. Our sexuality will be different in some ways with each partner because they're bringing something new in and what we'd want to do with them or see them do with us is going to maybe shift and change. Um, so that's there. Also know that we're pretty sex shaming and slut shaming. And so I appreciate what you're saying, especially as someone female identified. 
people will often pathologize female sexuality. We're working really hard on female sexual empowerment. We're in the fourth wave of feminism, which is about technology. It's body positive. It's sex positive. It's pro-sex work. It's pro-porn. It's just really about embodiment and empowerment. So I'm glad you're trying to lead that charge. I think that's really great. But again, I'm, I'm glad that you're aware that we live in a world where people kink shame. And when you come forward sharing your authentic self, especially your authentic sexual self, it can make people feel threatened or intimidated, right? Or not in control. Or they might stigmatize and say, oh, you're not girlfriend material or you're not a mom material or, you know, that's not how a woman acts. And it's like, that's sexism. And yeah, I don't want you to be with someone like that anyway, because that same thought process is going to show up in other toxic ways, right? So when we tell people about ourselves, we can really kind of universalize some of that. Like, how open is this person to really getting to know me? Because that's what a relationship's really about, intimacy. Do they really want to know who I am? Or do they want to just have us play these roles, these archetypes of, I'm a good man, and they're a good woman, and we're going to have a good relationship? Like, that's not real, you know? And so if someone comes forward sharing with you who they are sexually, the first answer should always be, thank you. Thank you for caring enough and trusting me enough to tell me who you are. Whether or not you're interested or into it, you first just say thank you. Don't shame someone. It's not about you, right? They're being known. So the first question is how safe do you feel just sharing vulnerable things with this person in general? And if you don't, start doing that first. I wouldn't lead with the sexual. I'd start just slowly practicing being very honest and transparent with this person, working your way up, right? Um, that's the first piece. And then number two, make sure that you can trust this person because when we disclose sexual things, uh, we don't wanna just do that with anyone and everyone because then they go off in the world and do whatever they want with it. So make sure that this is someone you feel like you can trust where after the relationship ends, that they'll honor what you shared with them and what you did together and they won't do anything toxic with that. And then number three, you can frame it. Hey, I wanna really talk about some interesting things. I wanna do some sexual exploration with you. Are you open to hearing about it? Are you open to talking about that? Do you want that as well? Maybe they'll say, thank you for bringing that up. I've had things I wanna try. And then you do the yes, no, maybe. Um, say yes to what you both feel good about. Say no to things you have no interest in. And then you do the maybe, things that you're kind of curious about, but maybe you want to do it differently or change a few things or need some more time or you want to talk more, you know? But those are the big three. Uh, work on being in the kind of relationship where you can share things like that. Number two, make sure it's someone you can trust and is mature enough to be told these things and will say, oh, good to know. And number three, the yes, no, maybe. Talk about the kinds of things you'd want to do and what you don't want to do. But know that like, if you're in a monogamous relationship, your partner's limits are your limits. So hold that sacred that you don't want to be a negative impact on someone's life. And so if they want to explore something, see if there's some willingness that you can come up with, you know, go into your anxiety. It's okay to be anxious. It's okay to expand and grow. It's okay to try new things. We can always circle back if it didn't work out for us. There is going back. You know what I mean? Healthy people push on those boundaries and realize it doesn't have to mean anything other than what I make of it. And then we always worry about some things feeling too like that's gay or that's not for guys. Or, that's not for girls. None of those things are real. You know what I mean? Anything a heterosexual person does is heterosexual sexuality, and it shouldn't matter anyway. We're in a time of fluidity and openness, and let's all be those people. All right, y'all, that is our show. We'll be back tomorrow um, talking about signs of abuse. It's important to know that, especially as some people are spending a lot more time with each other, but uh, always good to know. Question of the night, as always, is up on our Loveline IG page in the story, so weigh in on that. And uh, past episodes of Loveline over at wearechannelq.com. So you know what, y'all? Thanks for hanging out. And as always, have a beautiful, beautiful rest of your night.